In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. Our topic of conversation with him is liturgy, love for the liturgy. I hear an internal groan with the topic, but let's give it a chance. St. Jose Maria says in the way, show veneration and respect for the holy liturgy of the church and for its ceremonies. Observe them faithfully. Don't you see that for us poor humans, even what is greatest and most noble enters through the senses? What is the liturgy? It is basically the Word of God processed, endorsed, recited by the church itself in an official way. What does that mean theologically? St. Augustine says, when the church prays officially, it is Christ praying to the Father. It is Christ praying through the individuals participating in the liturgy. And it is Christ accompanying those individuals praying in the liturgy and any celebration of a sacrament. But the main course of liturgy is the Holy Mass. We intuit, not only we intuit, we know this theologically, the light of faith also tells us that something tremendously important occurs in the liturgy, even if it's a sleepy, cold, early Wednesday morning. Heaven and earth, even though emotionally we may not sense that or we don't sense it, reinforced by the Holy Holy, it's a prayer that heaven and earth join in praising God through the adoration of Jesus Christ expressed in this Eucharistic sacrifice. There's a bit of a pattern in the lives of saints. I'm thinking of one saint who's not officially canonized yet, but his process is opened. The effort, the sacrifice, the risk-taking to celebrate Mass. Many of the martyrs that mark the history of the Church have become martyrs because they were caught saying Mass when it was against the law from the earliest years. I'm thinking of Walter Sizek, who wrote that famous book published by Ignatius Press, 
He Leadeth Me, and his autobiography with God in Russia, where he spent, I don't know, a quarter of a century in, as a prisoner in the gulags of the former Soviet Union. And he managed to say Mass often. They smuggled in some bread and some wine. Obviously, he wasn't dressed for the occasion. And many instances, they would, he would, and his people would sacrifice breakfast because people would march off to have a piece of bread and a bowl of hot water, temperature below zero, well below zero, exhausted, tired. And they would have to sacrifice that to attend Mass. And so he would say Mass. He had it committed to memory. He'd use some primitive glass and piece of bread, but Mass it was. And the narrative says that the people were tremendously energized and were extremely grateful to God that even under those conditions, they were able to manage to attend Mass and receive the Eucharist. In those days, the Christians or the few Catholics in the Soviet Union were not aware of the changes in fasting before communion. In those days, you couldn't eat anything or drink anything until you received the Eucharist from midnight on. Cardinal Tuan, who was in prison in Vietnam, was doing the same thing, but he didn't have the luxury of a glass or a container, and he would say Mass with a few drops of wine in the palm of his hand, some bread that was smuggled in as well. Many years ago, from the lips of Blessed Alvaro, when we were talking about evangelization of young people, Blessed Alvaro would say that the first priority in any work of evangelization is to be centered on the liturgy, the liturgy of the Mass. And he said that that's how St. Jose Maria did it. And he said that when he would say Mass, being an experienced priest, I'm very impressed, that his altar boys, his altar servers, would be moved to tears. They would be in tears at the end of the Mass because they were so moved. If altar boys are in tears when I say Mass, it's because I took too long. (laughs) And this love for the Mass, for the liturgy, marks the lives of the saints. That's the high point. It's the most important act of piety. doesn't mean that it's the only act of piety, but it is the mo- it's the culmination. Why is that? One of his first revelations, ostensibly aimed at the evil one, but he's not going to instruct the evil one on this spiritual life, but the devil, after Jesus is praying for many days and many nights, fasting as well in the desert. The devil tempts him to take the easy way and 
change the stones into bread. And Jesus gives his first instruction. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Very interesting to note that even before he institutes the Eucharist, his virtual first instruction is you need to feed on my word. That's what the liturgy is. I mean, you go through the Mass, it's quotations from our Lord, quotations from the Psalms, quotations from the readings, words of adoration that are composed by the Holy Spirit, for example, the Gloria, the Holy Holy, the Peripsum, or the through Him and with Him. That is His first instruction. And and I need to conform myself to this. And we could ask ourselves, we've got to do our own thing and follow the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The important thing is to commune with our Lord. But am I living off the bread of, of God's word? Do I use his words to pray? Do I use the Psalms to pray? Why does the church use the Psalms? Because they're composed by the Holy Spirit. Now, how do I nourish myself with the Word of God? Now, well, there's four aims, four ways of praying in the liturgy, especially the Mass. And what did Jesus do on the cross? He adored God the Father with his sacrifice. He thanked God the Father with his sacrifice. He made reparation for our sins through his sacrifice, and he petitions for us through his sacrifice. And all the words of the Mass, and there's, there's praise, there's adoration, there's thanksgiving, there's acts of contrition, there's petition, all that is done through Christ, and especially through his death on the cross. We unite our prayer to the ultimate act of adoration, thanksgiving, reparation, and contrition, which occurs in the cross. we got to do this if we're going to be saints. No ifs, ands, or buts. And we can't just show up. If we're going to be nourished by the Word of God, I need to put my heart into this. I can't just get it done or just show up. That's supernatural superstition. If I show up, something's happening. Well, it's something. It's better than not showing up especially weddings, I was going to say funerals. Funerals are a little different. I mean, that's kind of a, a sobering experience. It's, when, if you compare a wedding and a funeral, I'm talking about you know, all sorts of people who have never darkened a church's door since their baptism, more or less. Uh, the funeral is a lot more sobering and gets people's attention because you know, death is always a reality check. Uh, but wedding is less so. It's a joyful occasion. It's... And I would say some of some of these weddings I've done, uh, no ill will. They don't know better. But 90% are not with the program. They're sitting down when they should stand up. They're sitting down when they should be kneeling. Uh, they're you know wandering in the aisles when they should be sitting. They're texting when they should be listening to the homily. Uh, those kinds of things. And 
you you see a whole array of people. You see, uh, I've seen people just glower at me, and I was tempted to say, "Well, listen, let, let, let me say something, and then you could glower." Uh, all right, please be seated. And all of a sudden, there's three or four. These are usually weddings, uh, glowering. You know, you know, just get it done so we can get to the party, will you? Um, and then you have. Uh, other people who are, you know, clearly with the program, you could just tell they're in there, you know, this is a real religious experience and, uh, and they're, they're, they're working on it. Maybe this example could serve kind of a personal uh, experience. Uh, in my naivete, in my growing years, uh, now it's almost, it's considered uh, classical music. The current singers of the, and, and, and musicians of the 60s and the 70s, that's all I would listen to. Uh, much to the chagrin of my parents, all this terrible noise blaring through my, my stereo. And uh, I know all that, I'm not going to bore you with that, but I, even to this day I know all those singing groups that uh, were in fashion during the 60s, especially late 60s, 70s. And um, not only myself, uh, I'm giving myself a pass, uh, at least we're always listening to, we always have the radio on, we're always listening to rock music. And now it's, now it's, now that the 60s music is, you know, it's, it's comparable to listening to Bach. I, I know that's a stretch. <laughs> but not in those days. And I had a summer job stripping paint and I was uh, pretty young, and uh, the other guy was uh, out of college, and he was uh, more of a serious guy. And he said, listen, um, and I had my music playing, my rock music playing all day while we were stripping paint. And he said, would you mind if we listened to classical music? And I said, yeah, I do mind. <laughs> he said, why do you mind? I said, because I hate it. I said, have you heard much of it? The little I heard is good enough to know that I really don't like it. And I said, if you don't mind, let's just stay with this. He said, well, he said, let me work out a deal with you. I want you to have an open mind. He was an older person, older person. Maybe I was 18 and he was in his 20s or mid-20s. Why don't you listen to this three or four times? Just, just do it. And if you really don't like it anymore, then we're going to just listen to your music. But let me just put on, turn on the classical station. He says, what do you think? I go, all right. Turns it on. I don't know what we were listening to. What do you think? First time. I go, I hate it. I said, I don't know if I could take another time. He said, no, you got to take two or three more times. Second time. What do you think? Well, I, I don't like it. All right, we got, we got to keep doing it. And I said, well, to be honest, I, all of a sudden it kicked in. I said, my gosh, this is pretty good stuff. And in my heart of hearts, after a while, then, you know, person said, well, listen to this, do it the same thing, do it three or four times, and start to give a second look at opera, because my folks listened to that. Uh, that sounded like a lot of hooting and hollering. Then uh, I realized, well, this is good stuff. I mean, this is, this is of another level. And I would say 
the same applies to the liturgy. I'm just going to quote people who tell me, they say, sort of say the same thing I said about uh, classical music. I'm thinking of one number of people. Wow, when they told me that I should go to frequent mass or daily mass, I thought I was hearing things. I thought this was way off the top. And then I start to do that. And I can't go without it. A certain individual was, was sick and he couldn't make it to Mass. And he said, he said, I really notice the absence of Mass. I really want to get back to that. Why is that? Well, because Jesus says, especially when we go there with uh, the, the intention of praying and connecting with God, my words... The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. How do I show my love for that liturgy? To share another anecdote right now, a priest buddy called me up, and I thought it was a black and white answer. He said, you know, um, I'm giving spiritual direction, and one of my directees, or a couple of my directees, uh, just wants to go to Mass, but doesn't want to do mental prayer before Mass because it's, you know, Mass is early enough. I'm planning on telling that person, don't bother going to Mass. And I said, well, I don't do that, you know. If that person wants to go to Mass, don't dissuade that person not to go to Mass just because the person doesn't do mental prayer. I don't know. I haven't read that in the Gospel, that if you don't do mental prayer, don't go to Mass. I was trying to be a little bit light. No, 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 but think about it. I go, I am thinking about it. Don't dissuade the person from going to Mass. I said, why are you even asking this? This is spiritual direction 101. If someone wants to go to Mass, you know, applaud a little bit. Well, it becomes routine unless you really get prepared. You know, you got to really get into the liturgy. I go, yeah, you're right. I said, I still think the person doesn't need to do mental prayer before going to Mass. But what he said was extremely enlightening because maybe we have to compare the liturgy like a masterpiece painting, because that's what it is. I mean, the liturgy is the church guided by the Holy Spirit just working on these prayers that surround the sacraments, heavily enlightened by the Holy Spirit. It began in the fourth century intimately linked to the martyrs and the sacrifice of Christ and the Holy Holy taken from the book of Revelation, the book of, I think, Isaiah as well, the parypsum, something so rich in theology, so rich in, in spirituality, etc. I need to get prepared for this. It's sort of like you have a Rembrandt painting and you, I don't know, you, you haven't decided where to put it, so you just put it in the garage and lean, lean the canvas or roll the canvas up in the corner of your garage. And, uh, well, if I look at it and you tell me it's a Rembrandt painting, I'd probably say, come on, you know, that's just, uh, that's just a, someone just put some uh, colors on a canvas. Why? Well, because a painting of that value needs to be put in a beautiful room, well lit, with climate control, in an ornate, artistic frame with a light illuminating the painting, you get more out of it. 
And the same thing a little bit with the liturgy. I, I need to um, meditate on what I'm doing, what I'm saying. See, if I go in there huffing and puffing or distracted or not really engaged in it or not saying the prayers with energy or singing the hymns with energy, I'm sort of like that painting in the garage. This is great magnificence here. This is a great treasure. This is a great medium to connect with our Lord, but I've got to do my part and make sure that my Mass, when I'm in the liturgy here, that I am adoring our Lord through the different prayers that mark the Mass, that the preface doesn't just slip by me, that I am thanking God the Father through Jesus Christ, that I am offering myself up, that I am making acts of contrition. St. Jose Maria says, Piety has its own good manners. Learn them. It's a shame to see those pious people who don't know how to assist at Mass. Even those who hear it daily, nor how to bless themselves, they make some weird gestures very hurriedly. Nor how to bend their knee before the tabernacle. Their ridiculous genuflections seem a mockery. Nor how to bow their heads reverently before an image of Our Lady. The point here is that we want to really put our heart into praying the Mass, praying the liturgy. Because the more we put into it, the more we're transformed. And we have this liturgy. We could pray in Christ, with Christ, through Christ, because of Mary. Mary's yes brought our Lord into the world. And Our Lady attended Mass after Jesus ascended into heaven. And John Paul titled her the woman of the Eucharist. Mary, pray for us and help us realize that my greatest devotion to you is to honor your son through the liturgy, the liturgy of the Mass. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for